What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Zach Cronin, and I hope that you are doing fantastically well today. I hope that you guys are enjoying the brick-ass weather that we are having, especially if you live in the Northeast. And I think I said this exact same intro last week, which that's always that's always good. So we're trying something new today. I'm actually live streaming the podcast on Twitch. Uh, this is my first time ever experimenting with a live stream. So I'm just going to, uh, I'm just going to need everybody to bear with me because it is, it's not something that I've ever done before. And I'm just trying to, uh, you know, learn, learn how to appear on stream, I guess. So again, bear with me, but as always, this podcast will be posted to all of the typical um platforms or whatever the main thing for me is just trying to figure out like the framing for everything which is probably the hardest part of all that but we're just going to go ahead we're going to get right into the news for today i think the elephant in the room is my dude kevin durant kevin durant on i think it was i forget it was saturday it was Saturday, and I remember this because I was hanging out with my girlfriend, and we were watching the Nets game. Of course, it was between that and Master Chef, and I told her that, you know, I'd come over early, we'd watch a little bit of Master Chef before the game, then we'd vibe, we'd watch the game, and then we would just see, see how the game played out, and see if it was even worth me continuing to watch the Nets. Well, they played the Pelicans that night, and it was a fucking bloodbath to begin the game. And then I forgot when exactly it happened, but, um. I've, it was Herb Jones, I think, was the ball handler. I keep wanting to call him Herb Dean, who was the UFC official, if I remember correctly. And it was a fast break or like, you know, semi-transition or something. And he's taking the ball into the paint. He's guarded by Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown beats him to the spot, of course, because Bruce is a spectacular defender. And Jones gets away with a little bit of a shove. He, he catapults Bruce Brown back into Kevin Durant. And KD tried to stay in the game, but it was just, it was impossible. He was hobbling around for a little bit, just trying to see if he could continue. And we feared the worst. Nets fans feared the worst. I think NBA fans in general feared the worst because the league without Kevin Durant is not the same. I'm trying to see if this, the webcam is fucking the most difficult part about this. I think this should be good. A league, the league without Kevin Durant is just not the same. Like, I don't think there's enough that can be said about Kevin Durant. He was going to be an all-star this season. He's probably still going to be voted as an all-star, but he's not going to participate, obviously. He was, I, he was my pick to bring home the MVP as well, but all of that's gone. Unfortunately, no serious ACL injuries, no serious meniscus injuries. I don't believe that there is surgery that's going to be required because he was officially diagnosed with an MCL sprain. I'm going to try to find like the official, the, uh, okay, here we go. So Durant sprained, this is courtesy of ESPN writer Nick Friedel. Durant sprained the MCL in his left knee during Saturday's win over the New Orleans Pelicans while Nash said, Monday that the Nets don't have an exact timeline for when Durant will return. Sources told ESPN's Woj on Sunday that the franchise expects a four to six week rehabilitation. I think this it could have been a more serious strain. Of course, it's not, you know, something minimal where a week or two goes by and he's back. That's unfortunately not the case for this injury. Now, obviously, we know how this impacts the Brooklyn Nets. It impacts them tremendously but before we get into how it's going to impact impact them on the court um i think we have to address the elephant in the room here kevin durant will not be returning until late march at the earliest so if this four to six week window plays out it will take him at the most conservative estimation he will be back in four in four weeks that's the most optimistic right which puts us at February, about 15th or so, around the time of the All-Star break, he does, of course, get that extended rest with that uh, like week or so that the players get off, you know, for the All for All-Star break weekend. But knowing how the Nets handle injuries and knowing how they handle injuries in regards to Kevin Durant in particular, 
I there if he doesn't need to come back, he's not coming back. And I don't foresee him needing to come back until the postseason because, knock on wood, the Brooklyn Nets are firmly entrenched in some sort of playoff spot. Of course, this is the seeding is going to get very wacky going forward. You have Miami playing spectacular basketball, and Bam Adebayo is coming back from his injury. Of course, we have the Milwaukee Bucks, who are probably the favorites to come out of the Eastern Conference this year again. Of course, the Chicago Bulls, I don't think that just because they got fucking pissed on by Brooklyn by 26 and then absolutely dumpstered by Golden State by like 40 some odd points the following day or the following game I still don't think that's any reason for us to doubt them because they're still an amazing team having watched them play the Brooklyn Nets like three or four times already the Chicago Bulls are the real the real deal and if they are active around the trade deadline they're going to get even realer they're going to be a serious threat to make a title run this season now Kevin Durant is going to be out until late March, early February, or early April because the Nets don't, they want him to be as healthy as possible for the postseason. I don't think this is going to be a shock to anyone. Um, I would not be shocked if at some point it came out that, you know, Durant is healthy, but he's not coming back until we get to the playoffs. We have James Harden, who's still healthy. Uh, We have Kyrie Irving, who's still healthy, or they have Kyrie Irving, who's still healthy. This upcoming stretch, I think I saw it was 12 of 17 of Brooklyn's upcoming games are being played on the road. Kyrie Irving is eligible for 11 of them. Of course, the only one he's not eligible to play in is when they go to Madison Square Garden to play the Knicks because of the vaccine requirements for New York City. Um, That's another story, Kyrie's uh, stubbornness on that issue, even in the wake of this happening to Kevin Durant. But, you know, having Kyrie, who's starting to look like Kyrie Irving, again, is great for the team on the court. Um, He'll certainly be a tremendous factor for them going forward. Joe Harris, I forgot, I don't know when exactly he's coming back, but it's got to be relatively soon. Um, So November 29th, I think they put his original diagnosis around like three months or so. So we're looking at December, January, February. Three to four months, February, March. Joe Harris should be back by. If he comes back or when he comes back, that's going to be a huge addition for the Nets. And in particular, because James Harden is, again, going to have to play a lot of minutes. This seems like it's going to be a repeat of what happened last year where James Harden comes over from um, Houston. And then you have Kevin Durant, who I think was dealing with the calf issue or something like that. And then, of course, Kyrie Irving, whose health was also up in there. I mean, Kyrie was healthier more often than not than Kevin Durant, especially because the Nets kind of, they played it very conservatively with KD's health in this regard. So already James Harden has fortunately turned around his super shitty play to begin the season. He currently leads the league with 10 assists a game, averaging damn near 23 points a night, playing some of the best basketball of his career. All of the questions that Nets fans were asking themselves, you know, went during James Harden's slow start. Like, will he ever... Will he ever take it to a, take it to the level that we know he can take it to? Will he stop settling for poor jump shots? Will he start attacking the basket again? And as the months have gone by, I thought that it would happen around Christmas time. It took a little bit later than that. But James Harden is beginning to look more and more like his old self, which is, of course, critical for what the Brooklyn Nets are trying to do. And that's, of course, win the championship now. The issue is that James Harden is already playing a considerable amount of minutes. He's at about 37 per game this season. I don't know where that ranks among league leaders. I'm pretty sure it's in the top 10 at least. Uh, Where are we? Where are we? But this is also nothing new for James Harden. Or is he not even? Where the fuck? He's currently second in minutes played per game this season, which of course is less than ideal for Nets fans. And that's only going to be more amplified going forward, particularly because I still have beef with Steve Nash for being just not so great when it comes to managing his rotations. I don't know. It's That's, that's his kryptonite, man. His kryptonite is building a steady rotation. Of course, he has gotten better. Um, he has opened up his bench a little bit more, given more time to the rookies, Kessler Edwards, 
and Dayron Sharp as well, which has been absolutely incredible. I am so fucking happy that Kessler Edwards and Dayron Sharp are not only playing well, but like playing real meaningful minutes because you can put a rookie in the game or, you know, in garbage time or whatever, and just kind of, you know, let him vibe, right? Just let him, let him get his feet wet. But these guys, these guys were playing real minutes against playoff teams, against the Chicago Bulls, against teams like that, against the New Orleans Pelicans. Granted, the Pelicans aren't the greatest team, but to play meaningful minutes in a game where the Brooklyn Nets were stomping all over New Orleans, that means something. It builds confidence in themselves. They know that they can produce. And of course, I'm sure they were probably super confident already because in practice, they're going up against Kevin Durant. They're going up against James Harden and uh, Patty Mills. And of course, Cam Thomas, the other rookie who's been part of the rotation for quite a while now. It's just been, it, it's been great watching them develop. I, it's, it's probably one of my most heartwarming stories to begin the season, but what, God, I fucking hate that I have to bring this up as well, but we saw what happened last postseason with James Harden, the hamstring injury that just, he was never able to get right, unfortunately, and some could argue that, hey, his excessive workload throughout the regular season played a role in that. I... I don't know how I feel about that. Of course, having a player play a considerable a considerable amount of minutes, especially when he's somebody like James Harden, someone who's high usage, very ball dominant, very involved in the Brooklyn Nets game plan. I mean, as of right now, he's average, he's contributing on a per game basis to at least 40 points a night. 40. That's like a third of the Nets total, maybe not a third. Uh, a little bit more than that if they're averaging like 115 points a game or something. It's like two and a half times, right? He's a huge piece of their offense. And he's going to have to put up old James Harden numbers with Kevin Durant out. And I just hope that Brooklyn is able to weather the storm because, you know, Kevin Durant was just talking about a few days ago, like, this is what happens right you go through a little bit of adversity i think brooklyn is like 4 and 7 in their last 11 games or something and you know still they have an incredible record mainly because they've continued they've routinely beat up on teams that are worse than they were it's just been the upper echelon teams in the nba phoenix golden state beating chicago a couple days ago was really what i felt it was i loved watching that victory despite the fact that the nba scheduled it at 10 o'clock they play in fucking Chicago. It's central time. Why? Why, why, why are you scheduling the game at 10 o'clock Eastern, dude? Why? That makes no fucking sense to me. Absolutely none. I, that, But that's besides the point. But seeing them actually beat Chicago and beat Chicago pretty handle, handily was a real, it was a real confidence boost. I'll say that. And... Of course, I'm a little nervous about this team going forward. Um, I just feel that, you know, people in sports media are inherently reactionary. It's what makes the news cycle go around. It's just spewing ridiculous ass takes without really considering the context of the situation I feel like it's really it really is just about stirring up drama because the NBA and sports overall it's really nothing more than entertainment and I've maintained this take for forever sports are entertaining it's entertainment the on-court product is first and foremost should be the most entertaining part but you need drama to keep people invested you need storylines throughout the season. Of course, you don't want it to be something insane like what Formula One is dealing with right now and how a lot of the fans feel that Lewis Hamilton was stripped of his eighth title because of the way that the FIA handled the ending of that race. Uh, that's some, That's like way beyond drama. That's, that's enough to almost have people lose faith in the integrity of the sport because even though... Sports. I don't want to say sports are fake. They're definitely not fake. Um, 
even though sports are very dramatic, that's the best way that I can describe it, just because there is a lot of storylines running through it, you don't want to feel that it's scripted. You want the drama to be perceived as natural. And more so, I'm talking about on-court drama, because a lot of the stuff that happens off the court is, of course, just absolute bullshit but when something catastrophic like that happens like what happened with formula one like with the whole astros cheating scandal that is what you don't want because then it's just like the fans the fans feel cheated almost like and it was i'm sure we can look back to tim donahy i think that was his fucking name i can't remember at this point um betting on games. I mean, even if you talk about the um the Sacramento Kings back in like two thousand one or two or something, the officiating in that was just absolutely piss poor and you know, that really sours a lot of fans. And I went on this massive tangent and I totally forgot what my point was, so I'm gonna try and tie it back. I'm not excited to hear about what the talking heads have to say about the Nets over the next couple of months because I think it's all just gonna be bullshit. Uh if they struggle I know for a fact, I'm calling it right now, if the Nets struggle going forward, it's going to be the same old bullshit about James Harden not being able to lead a team. Even if he's putting up great numbers, this dude could average 30 and 12 and talking heads would still be like, oh, well, he can't lead you to a championship by himself, which could be true, right? James Harden might not be the guy on a championship team, but you're just totally stripping away the context of, oh, by the way, the Nets are missing two of their four best players Still, and then I know I know that folks are going to repeatedly bring up the Kyrie Irving refusing to get vaccinated scandal and how this is a bad precedent for the league. Like, please, please just shut the fuck up about that. I don't want to hear any more shit about Kyrie being a dumbass and about him not wanting to get vaccinated because it's fucking annoying, man. We understand Kyrie's not going to be with the team for half the season. He's not going to be with the team in the postseason for game seven. It's going to be even, you know, some. I'm sure that there are some Nets fans who are going to try to flip this, right? Where, you know, Kevin Durant is out for however long. And they're going to be like, oh, well, if they drop to a bottom four seed in the postseason, they'll be able to have Kyrie Irving for most of the playoffs because without home court advantage, he's not going to be or he'll be able to play in games five, game seven, you know, elimination games all throughout the postseason because I highly doubt that, you know, even if the Nets were a four seed, well, even then they still wouldn't. Even if they were a five seed, right, they absolutely crash and burn. They're, they would have no home court advantage at any part of the playoffs. So you would have your big three for these crucial moments. Of course, I don't want this to happen. I think that would be absolutely disastrous for the team but it's just going to be a lot of I already know that there is going to be an influx of bullshit that's coming on that's or it it will be here it will be here very soon and I'm I'm not very excited for it um since we are talking about James Harden I feel that it's only right to bring up these uh, god i want to say these dog shit rumors God damn it. I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> I'm still this streaming shit is hard, man. I'm sorry. I'm trying to figure out how to balance all this shit and it's really fucking difficult. So, there was a uh I don't even know what to fucking call it. I want to call it a rumor, but I feel like that would just be um uh, actually before we get into this, I'm just going to scurry on over to uh Twitter. Ah. I'm going to tweet out that I'm live so that way I can uh maybe have more than one viewer in the stream um let's go ahead and do that and then we'll talk about again this fucking baseless ass this fucking baseless ass report
this came across my timeline uh, a couple days ago. I don't remember the uh, I don't remember the exact date just because uh dude I am so bad with dates. Absolutely atrocious. I don't remember I literally don't remember anything. I don't remember doctor's appointments. I don't remember dentist appointments. I only remember birthdays if <laughs> someone reminds me about them a couple of days beforehand. I'm the worst. But at any rate, Mark Stein uh, tweeted out his Substack link, and he was talking about how there is notable noise coming through on the James Harden trade front about his openness to relocating and I am just like, I don't think that Mark Stein is a bullshit reporter, but this is a bullshit report. Okay. The timing of this is, of course, quite convenient. We're a month away from the trade deadline. The Sixers are moving to, be, are looking to move Ben Simmons. There have been, you know, reports circulating about Harden getting traded to Philly to reunite with general manager Daryl Morey and, of course, to have him um, fill the role that Ben Simmons would have held but like at least if you're gonna talk about this like make it a little bit more inconspicuous right so this is courtesy of an article this was posted on yahoo it was aggregated from stein who i think had the original report courtesy of an nbc sports philadelphia reporter so Again, it just seems mighty coincidental that James Harden is open to is open to relocating this summer. It's that it's happening on January 18th. Again, a month ahead of trade season when Daryl Murray is probably frantically calling any team to try to offload Ben Simmons because the Sixers they need help. Joel Embiid needs help. They've got a solid team underneath him with Danny Green, Matisse Thybul, uh Seth Curry, Tobias Harris, but that team is built around Joel Embiid and another star. And currently they don't have that other star. So I'm just going to go ahead and read a little bit of this article. Between draft obligations and pick swap rights from the blockbuster James Harden trade a year ago, the Houston Rockets effectively control any first-round assets from the Brooklyn Nets through 2027. That's why the latest wave of uncertainty regarding the Nets and Harden, who can become a free agent as soon as this offseason, is so intriguing. His Substack newsletter, longtime and in his Substack newsletter, longtime NBA insider Mark Stein reports, it must be noted that there is enough noise circulating league-wide about Harden's reported openness to relocation this summer. Now, if there's anything I know about how the NBA rumor mill works and how a lot of these reports come out is that noise. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Colin, for the follow. Longtime uh, colleague of mine. What we know about these reports is that this right here, enough noise circulating, it is literally one person. One person can fart on their laptop, and that is the report, right? I'm not trying to, you know, discredit any up-and-coming reporters, but it's gotten to a point where, like, if Wojer Shams isn't tweeting it, it's it's bullshit, at least in my eyes. I know it makes it more fun when there are more reports going around, but anyway... I just want to continue with this article. Such a relocation wouldn't directly involve Houston in all likelihood. Harden is 33 years old, and the Rockets are rebuilding around young players like 19-year-old rookies Jalen Green and Alperine Sangoon. Also, Christian Wood is there, of course. Uh, Eric Gordon, not sure how he plays into that, but you know maybe they flip him for somebody. Maybe they fucking send him to Philadelphia so that they can at least get a trade-off so I can stop fucking hearing about Daryl Morey. Um, Thus, if Harden leaves Brooklyn, presumably because the Nets fall short in their title quest for a second year, it likely would not be for a return to Houston. Uh, Again, this is like, I didn't read the full report because it's paywalled. The substack is paywalled. And I feel like I didn't need to because at this point, it just seems like there's a whole lot of nothing happening. And Colin is in chat saying they got to bump him. I don't know who... I don't know who you're referring to, Colin. I apologize. I really do. Oh, yes. He's going back to Houston. Better strip clubs. I would. I totally see that. I think, you know, if Harden petitions the league office hard enough, he will get a team set up in Las Vegas. I feel like Harden would thrive 
in Las Vegas, especially because they got the Rams. But Derek Carr is not into any of that debaucherous stuff. I don't think either that or if we really want to, you know, talk about Harden's off the court activities. What if he forms a super duper team in Miami? I mean, look, if we're talking about strip clubs. Come on, dude. If you haven't gone to Miami and experienced Miami nightlife, as someone who's not a partier, I don't enjoy like going out. I'm very introverted, I guess. Like that scene in Miami is undefeated. It really is. And now I got off track talking about strip clubs, I guess so it goes on Twitch. I wonder if this I wonder if this is actually what it's like being a Twitch streamer. Like I watch, you know, uh Asanabi, I watch, you know, Dr. Disrespect, Tim the Tap Man. And I never, I never understood the stun lock. And now I think I do. So thank you, Colin, for helping me understand stun locks. And I totally forgot my point on James Harden. I think overall, all I really have to say about this situation is that I think it's total bullshit for right now. It's just very convenient. I don't think that Harden is focused on anything right now aside from helping the Brooklyn Nets bring a championship. I feel that there aren't any players in the league I mean maybe not none but there are very few players in the league who when they are in season I don't feel that they're looking beyond that looking beyond the summer because like truth be told the Nets still have a very very good shot to win the title this year especially if they make a trade at the uh at the deadline I saw Nick Claxton there are reports that he is potentially going to get moved Within the next month, I don't f really foresee that either, unless, of course, they want to figure out a trade for Jeremy Grant because I fucking adore Jeremy Grant. Like, what what really gets me about Nick Claxton is that he hasn't really he hasn't played that frequently, right? He had non-COVID illness to begin the year. Um, he just gets. I feel like his condition his conditioning is just simply not up to par with where it should be. You know, the non the non-COVID illness. Uh, his hamstring, even when he was playing, it seemed like he was just a step behind, at least in the beginning of the season. I was very critical of him when, especially in that opening night loss to Milwaukee, I was like, I was ready to freak the fuck out. I thought I was going to have a stroke watching Nick Claxton try to guard Giannis. But truth be told, Collins asking, what do the Brooklyn Nets need in a trade return right now, player health aside? I think they need uh, see this is a difficult question because when the team is fully healthy I feel that their biggest issue is front court defense so if we're just talking in a vacuum Joe Harris Patty Mills Kyrie Irving Kevin Durant James Harden the offense is the offense is booling straight up not an issue and then what do we have on the backside we have Paul Millsap Blake Griffin LaMarcus Aldridge, De'Aaron Sharp, Kessler Edwards. Front court defense is the Nets' biggest issue right now. They need someone who can battle with all of the bigger guys in the East. I'm talking about Giannis, even though they can't trade for anyone who's going to defend Giannis that effectively unless it's Bam Adebayo. Like, I Giannis, is, Giannis is incredible, right? Talk about Joel Embiid. Uh, I'm also ironically talking about Bam Adebayo. For whatever reason, the East is like full of these humongous dudes who are going to give the Nets fits in the playoffs. So you need someone who has good versatility on the outside, who has decent size, good wingspan. Somebody, again, maybe Jeremy Grant. I think Jeremy Grant would be a big fit or a big fit, a good fit for them right now. But the issue is, what are you sacrificing to bring in? somebody like Jeremy Grant. Even before the season started, I was looking at the way the roster was constructed. And maybe I just have PTSD for being a Brooklyn Nets fan for so long, of course going through the 10 and 72 the 10 and 72 season, going through the whole saga where Billy King was basically like I want the shells of Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. That was a fun saga and then watching Paul Pierce get absolutely pissed and shitted on by LeBron James that was fun dude Vucevic I fuck Nikola Vucevic Colin I'm sure I'm sure you know having covered New York sports in the past for whatever reason 
Nikola Vucevic is the Nets kryptonite. This dude just always pops off when he's playing the Nets. This man looks like Wilt Chamberlain dropping in hook shots, running up and down the court, you know, knocking down threes. The only time I saw Nikola Vucevic struggle against Brooklyn was when Chicago played them um, this past week or whenever the fuck it was. And weirdly enough, it was because Dayron Sharp stepped up and was like, hey, listen, I'm a rookie. I don't know how big of a leash I'm going to have. And he was kind of just play- like, Dayron Sharp was in fucking mode. He's like, I'm going to body up this big ass um, Bosnian dude or Serbian, whatever he is. And I'm just going to, you know, not back down. And it worked. It worked quite effectively. Of course, there were some more issues that Chicago had that evening. And um, overall, I think what really helped in that instance was Brooklyn had someone to defend Vucevic one-on-one. And when you have a decent one-on-one defender, what it does for the rest of the team is that it makes helping way easier. That's why a team like Utah, for example, going back to just defending bigs, (laughs) going back to uh, Utah, oh, dude, Nurkic, man, I'm, I, uh, I remember Yusuf Nurkic before that injury, right? That catastrophic leg injury where like his shit just snapped. And I was watching this dude, and I seriously thought that Yusuf Nurkic had all the makings to take Portland to the next level. He was a terrific defender. I don't know his numbers right now. I'm actually going to go and... Dude, I remember watching... Guy was averaging two blocks, one and a half steals a game a couple years ago. Like, monster defender. His offense was really starting to evolve as well. He was turning into a very, very solid playmaker, too. Like, he was really filling the European big archetype. Someone who's, you know, not very athletic, just big, bulky, lumbers around, but has just remarkable skill. And I that was what I liked the most from Yusuf Nurkic. Claxton can def get you Nurkic. Um... I think, I don't want to say no, because I think that it is feasible. Um, I just don't know if Portland is, I think if Portland wants to go younger, they're just going to trade everybody. So Nurk will be gone, Dame will be gone, CJ will be gone. I think as soon as you send one of those three guys away, it's a signal to be like, okay, you know. We failed. And I don't know if Portland is ready to throw in the towel just yet because now you got, you're getting fucked over by injuries to Nurkic, McCollum, Dame is going to be out for however long. I just, I don't know. But listen, I'm all for the Brooklyn Nets benefiting from other general managers not understanding how to do their job. So if they want to trade, if they want to do that deal straight up, Nurkic for Klax, and then uh, whoever the fuck the new GM is for Portland. I don't even know who it is. Oh, it's Joe Cronin. That's awesome. No relation, by the way. No relation to Joe Cronin. So if he does fuck this trade up, um, I, I will have no beef with him. Nurkic is expiring. I don't think they're paying him. Yeah, probably not. Although, if Portland has shown us anything in the past, it's that they're more than content to overpay guys that help keep the team mediocre. Like, straight up. Robert Covington's another guy who, like, the thing that gets me about Portland is that they were, like, in theory, they had this vision and they kind of executed it very well, bringing in Nurkic a couple years ago, Robert Covington, Norman Powell. I mean, Anthony Simons' development has been awesome as well. Larry Nance Jr., I just think that they really fucked up hiring Chauncey Billups. I I don't think that was a good thing that they did. Not because of all of the off-court shit that came along with Chauncey Billups, but because like you're you're contending for a title or you think you're contending for a title. Why are you bringing in a rookie head coach? It was the same beef I had with Brooklyn when I learned that they were hiring Steve Nash. 
I'm like, what is like? And Steve Nash, not even that Steve Nash is a rookie head coach. Oh fuck! But it's that he's a rookie head coach with no prior coaching experience. Like, if they brought in Becky Hammond, it would have been different. Okay, I would have understood that because I get it. Becky Hammond is a rookie head coach, or she would have been a rookie head coach, but she's been with the San Antonio Spurs for like a dec more than half a decade. She's coached under Greg Popovich. She's been with the team when they were good. She's been with the team when they've been shitty. It's just it it's different. It's different when you bring in a coach who actually has coaching experience. I just I don't think that Chauncey Billups knew how to build a system around this team because just like just looking at it how is portland average offensively 14th in points per game 14th in pace they don't really move they don't do a lot of running uh, although they've never really been the quickest team but you know they had athletes and neil O'Shea, fucking terry stotts at least utilized them at some point uh, it's just, yeah, I don't think, I don't think Chauncey, I, I don't think Chauncey was the guy because this same team, this same Portland Trailblazers team was better last season. Granted, I'm kind of overlooking the injuries that they're dealing with now, but listen, like Chauncey Billups is not it, dog. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like if they wanted, if they really wanted to bring in Chauncey Billups, they should have they should have just started the rebuild a little early because, I mean, you bring in a new coach, you bring in a new general manager. Granted, the the situation with Neil Olshay was kind of um, not the best, I would say, with the whole toxic workplace environment. And then you bring in Joe Cronin, who, again, I have no relation to. It's uh, It would have been better suited for a rebuilding team. That's for sure. Um, I think, what did I want to move on to um so we're talking we talked about nick claxton we talked about kd this was a story that i saw the other day and i was fucking floored by it it was a story talking about courtesy of Stephen a obviously well not obviously but if you're looking at the screen you know Stephen a details scary battle with covid19 quote didn't know if I was going to make it. Folks, if you don't know who Stephen A. Smith is, you are a psycho because it's impossible not to know who this man is. Stephen A. Smith is quite possibly the most well-known sports media personality. This dude does a million different shows with ESPN. ESPN will have him travel from New York to LA to Timbuktu, then to Montreal, and then back to Cleveland, and then over to Portland. All of they'll they'll have them do all of that in like three days, and then the and then he's got to do first take as well, and then he's got to go appear on the on the NBA on ESPN um, pregame show and do all that stuff. So after several weeks away with a serious case of. COVID-19, Stephen A. Smith returned to first take and gave a public service announcement about his experience with the virus in addition to his inevitable trolling of the Dallas Cowboys and their fans. I am going to talk about Wild Card Weekend in a little bit. Um, I wish I didn't have to because, God, what a fuck it, what a weekend of football it was. Smith explained that he was hospitalized over New Year's and that he didn't know if he was going to make it. For me, personally, it hit me different. Stephen A. said, I'm built different, but in the worst way. Smith tested positive in mid-December, but it really hit him right before his hospitalization. You're assuming that you'll have a fever, might have a cough, going to have that massive headache, but you'll get over it. In a lot of cases, that was the case. In my case, it was totally different. So Stephen A got, bro, this man, he didn't get Omicron. I don't even think he got Delta. This man got the OG COVID, the OG COVID that had older folks laid up all over the country. He says, I had a, a 103 degree fever every night woke up with chills and a pool of sweat headaches are massive coughing profusely and it got to the point where right before new year's eve i was in the hospital into new year's day that's how i was brought into the new year no balls dropping on Stephen a i think the only thing he that he wished dropped was his fever he said that the doctors told him he would have died had he not been vaccinated that's fucking insane 
They told me had I not been vaccinated, it I wouldn't be here. That's how bad it was. I had pneumonia in both lungs. My liver was bad. It have it had ravaged me to the point where even now I have to monitor my volume. Get to the gym every day, walk before you run, work your way back because I'm still not 100% with my lungs, but I'm COVID negative. I'm on the road to recovery. But if it wasn't for several doctors, I wouldn't be here. Love and respect what for what they did. Love and respect for the people, you know, for everyone involved in the situation. Like, dude, Stephen A is like, he's got to be like 55 years old, right? He's got to be 50, 55. And this man still got the vaccine and got fucked up. But fortunately, he didn't fucking die. Could you imagine if Stephen A got got by COVID after getting the vaccine? Could you imagine how that would have been weaponized across the internet? I'm so happy that Stephen A got through this. Um, it really does suck that um, I'm sure all of this was amplified by his erratic work schedule and his erratic travel schedule. And everything like that. So I hope that ESPN kind of, you know, lets him take a step back as he rehabilitates. Because this guy's, this guy's like, you know, warming up before you go to the gym. Uh, like, this man was fucking down cataclysmic. This man was almost down dead. That's how fucking, that's how crazy it was. And uh, I guess this is just a, a PSA like, please guys, you don't want this to happen to you. You don't want this to happen to a loved one. Or anything like that. So I just I really wanted to read this story because I was personally like I was I was shook when I first saw the notification. Like, holy fuck, man, Stephen A almost fucking died, dude. That's that's absolutely insane. Like, even if you don't like Stephen A, I'm personally like I don't think that Stephen A is utilized best. I don't think Stephen A is in his in his wheelhouse with ESPN. I, th I think that they're kind of like fucking him over. They're using him as a content farm, right? They're not using him as to what he could be because what he is is a very intelligent basketball person, right? I think that if Stephen A was limited to that role, he'd be like Zach Lowe almost. He'd be on that kind of level, like someone who you could tune into and know that you were going to get a good piece of quality analysis about your favorite team. But unfortunately, they got him doing basketball games, and then he's got to do NFL playoffs, and then, oh, Stephen A's in Vegas where the UFC fights. Oh, he's watching Jake Paul box fucking some bozo on the Las Vegas Strip, and then, like, everything in between. So shout out to Stephen A. And I think this is the perfect segue to talk about um, the absolute dog shit weekend of NFL playoffs that this was I will say it with my whole chest this weekend this football weekend the wild card weekend was fucking terrible it was absolute piss it was just it was a Gatorade bottle full of three-day-old piss that's how bad it was I had no interest in watching any of these games actually that is a lie I had interest in watching these games before they started and then they started, and all I could think about is, oh my god, I would literally rather be doing anything else right now. This is such a horrific use of my weekend. It all started on Saturday with the Bengals and the Raiders. I caught none of this game. I forgot what I was doing. I think I just had no interest in watching it. Like, really, really nothing more than that. Or I was doing shit around the house. At any rate, this game was the closest of the weekend, I think. 19, 26 minus 19 is 7. It was the second closest game of the weekend. Pardon me. Of course, there was a huge, there was that huge controversy with uh, the whistle getting blown. I don't even, I don't even know how to articulate this controversy. It, it was some bullshit. At any rate, Bengals advanced to the next round of the playoffs, but that's not really my beef, right? Because as far as I can tell, there was only that one shitty call with the officials, and it didn't even it didn't even impact the game because it happened early, and the Raiders straight up they just lost. You know, they got outplayed by the Bengals. Shit happens, but the fucking audacity 
of the NFL to allow the Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys, and the San Francisco 49ers, the absolute audacity of the NFL to allow both of those teams to advance to, to the divisional round, it, I'm going to have... I'm, I'm going to hemorrhage. I'm going to hemorrhage. I don't even want to talk about the Bills game because that was a total fucking wash. Josh Allen is a beast. The whole, like Bills were looking like Super Bowl contenders, right? Offense was firing. Defense was elite. They made Mac Jones look like a rookie, which really hadn't happened this year. Absolutely sensational performance all around. And still, though, I don't think there's anyone who watches NFL football that wants to see a playoff game end with a margin of 30. That's fucking insane. But then we get the fucking Cowboys and the 49ers. This was, dude, I've watched a lot of football. I haven't watched that much football. I've watched a decent amount of football in my time on this earth. Played football. I played football in high school. Watched a lot of games from the sideline, obviously. Watched a lot of games from the sideline on high in high school. Watched my team get ass blasted more times than I could count. And still, I don't think I've ever seen a worse game than the Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers, right? I live in New York. I'm a Giants fan. I shit on the Cowboys for fun. It's fun. Truth be told, my girlfriend is a Cowboys fan for some reason. I still don't understand how that happened. And I bust her balls all the time because it's fun. Because the Dallas Cowboys are like the 08 Celtics of football, right? They get a little bit of success in the past, and they just fucking run with it. And the Cowboys this year, the Cowboys this year, Right, I would never say that they had a chance to go to the Super Bowl because I don't want to give them that satisfaction, but they really did. Dak Prescott is an amazing quarterback. I think he's a he's spectacular. I can't say enough good things about Dak Prescott. Zeke is a beast. They have three, three wide receiver ones on that team. Maybe not three, at least two. CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, Cedric Wilson was huge for them numerous times throughout the season, especially uh, on Christmas uh, Christmas Day. I think it was on Thanksgiving when both Lamb and Cooper were out um, with various ailments. And then the defense. Micah Parsons, Trayvon Diggs. And it started with the defense. And it ended with the defense. The Dallas Cowboys defense to get... How do you give up 23 points the San Francisco 49ers. I don't even know if the 40... I don't even remember how the 49ers kicked three field goals. They had a Debo Samuel touchdown, of course, who was the only saving grace for them that game. And then Elijah Mitchell scored a touchdown uh, early in the first quarter. The defense got throttled and they got throttled because dude how do how are you a premier football team in the NFL division leader and you get penalized 16 times in the wild card game at home i i don't understand how Dallas just fumbled this bag so hard right it's a mix between the offense the defense Mike McCarthy, Kellen Moore, the coaching staff, especially that fucking bizarro play to end the game where Dak scrambles, slides, and slides with one second and then doesn't have doesn't leave himself enough time to spike the ball. How are you, Dak Prescott, an all-pro quarterback, a Pro Bowl-level player, how do you just, how do you lose track of that? It's just, it's just so many questions, so many mental errors. Admittedly, I'm happy that Dallas shot themselves in the foot because let's be clear, guys, the San Francisco 49ers did not beat the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. The Dallas Cowboys beat themselves. And I don't think anyone's going to argue that because I'm just looking at the numbers. Jimmy G, Jimmy G, dog, got outplayed by Doc Prescott 100%. 172 yards, 16 to 25 passing, horrific numbers. If it weren't for Debo having like 110 Total yards from scrimmage, one touchdown, being able to really just give the Cowboys 
um, interesting looks and really uh, shake up how shake up how they were calling their game. I just I don't understand how they how they allowed that to happen. Um, my my fix for this, and this was at least how I felt before before the Monday night game, was that you just eliminate both of the 49ers and the Cowboys, and you send the Rams and the Cardinals through, right? So I think the Rams would have played uh, Green Bay because they're the lower seed, and then Arizona would have automatically advanced to play Tampa Bay. I felt that was fair because on paper, you know, the Cardinals appeared that they had a better chance to beat the Rams than maybe the than maybe the 49ers did the Cowboys. And then God, and then this game fucking sucked ass too, man. Arizona got absolutely clapped up by the Rams. Just I don't know what went wrong for Arizona yesterday. Uh, Kyler Murray looked like shit. I didn't watch the game. I had no intention of watching the game because after I hopped off Rainbow Six Siege with the boys, there was really there were they were already down like twenty eight to nothing at that point. Or no, they were it was halftime, so it was like it was uh twenty one nothing. And I'm like, how how is Arizona making a comeback here? No James Connor, right? Uh oh okay. James Carter James Connor was there, but Barely. He did have a touchdown. Okay. <laughs> Four rushes, and then eight rushes for Chase Edmonds. And then, of course, not having DeAndre Hopkins hurt tremendously. I don't think anyone is going to downplay that. But Kyler Murray really struggled against a Rams defense that looked, just judging from the box score, man, like this, this might be the best defensive game the Rams played all year. To clap up a division rival, to piss all over a division rival by 23 points. And Matthew Stafford threw only 17 passes, barely cracked 200 yards. It really is a testament to to their defense. Uh, there's really there's really not much more I can say. Looking at the rest of the box score, of course the um the offense the rushing offense was great as well. Sony Michelle and Cam Akers had 113 yards combined. I think Odell Beckham popped off. Cooper Cup was kept in check surprisingly, and it was kept he was kept in check by his own defense because they were so fucking dominant. And then I think the only game I didn't touch on uh, Philadelphia and Tampa. I'm not surprised that the Bucks escaped um escaped the Eagles. I wasn't too confident in Jalen Hurts. I really wasn't confident in the Eagles at all. Um although I was a little worried about Tampa Bay, you know, they didn't have Leonard Fournette. He was um it was reported that he wasn't going to be activated like a day before the game or so. Of course no Chris Godwin either. Mike Evans though. Mike Evans, big cock and balls. I don't know what more you want me to say about him. Although I do think that Tampa is going to have their work cut out for them because they're playing they play uh what's the fucking what's the schedule here? Before we get to that, I do want to touch on Kansas City and Pittsburgh. <laughs> we have this uh we have this inside joke in my group chat and uh, I don't want to put my friend on blast, my friends on blast, but I'm going to. They will of course remain nameless. Before this past season we were talking about football in general my one friend is a diehard Jets fan and he comes into the group chat one day and he's like yo Josh Allen is ass this dude is a bum and we're like Josh Allen Josh Allen the dude who's like been in the MVP conversation for the last two years that guy's a bum he's like yeah I'm like okay true so you know whenever Josh Allen's playing really well I'm going to the group chat and be like yo look at that bum ass Josh Allen just fucking not having any idea what to do with himself. And so the Pittsburgh-Kansas City game comes on. And Patrick Mahomes, I made it a point to you know watch pieces of this game because I do enjoy watching the Chiefs play. I do enjoy Patrick Mahomes as a football player. He was also on my fantasy team this year, so I'm a little biased towards him as well. Same deal with Devontae Adams in Green Bay. And in classic Patrick Mahomes fashion, he comes out to start the game, and 
He throws a pick. Classic. Seen this story unfold numerous times before. Patrick Mahomes loves getting fancy. Loves trying to do... He, anyone who watches football knows, and I can say this because I even know this and I don't really watch football like that, where Patrick Mahomes really got caught up this year was trying to make the home run play all the time. He hadn't yet learned how to be a game manager and play kind of like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, how even back in their younger days, and Aaron Rodgers still to this day, fucking insane. But they're not afraid to, you know, dink and dunk to the backs, to the tight end, you know, short plays, six yards here, five yards here, seven yards here, and then you go deep with Tyreek Hill. Patrick Mahomes got into trouble when he wasn't taking those, and it's like extra weird because you have Travis Kelsey, who's the best safety net in the NFL at his position, and then, you know, their running back situation, not the best, but could have been worse. I mean, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a decent back. I know he missed a lot of time this season with an injury. But Mahomes gets picked off trying to go crossbody. Of course, he knows he can make these kinds of throws, but in that instance, it it didn't work out. I think uh, it got tipped by TJ Watt and then picked off by somebody else. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I've seen this before. And my friend jumps into the group chat. And he's like, look at this fucking... He goes, Patrick Mahomes, more like ass Mahomes. And I replied and I said, Patrick Mahomes is who so-and-so thinks Josh Allen is. And after I said that, after I said that, it was almost like I, I, there was this fucking telepathic connection between me and Patrick Mahomes where he saw what I was typing. Instead of getting the play call talked into his, into his speakers in his helmet, he got that message. Text, he got that message via text-to-speech. And he's like, okay, and this dude finishes the fucking game with five yards, uh, five yards, with fucking 400 passing yards, five touchdowns. I'm like, okay, Pat, Pat, Pat. 30 of 39, 404 yards, five touchdowns. I'm like, Pat, I love you, bro. Why the fuck didn't you play like this throughout the entire regular season? There were only a handful of times that Patrick Mahomes had these had these explosive performances, right? Games where he was putting up numbers like this. And then there were games where, like, I feel, I don't know, like, if, you know, he just, I mean, I hope he did this with it being the playoffs, but, like, he fucking, you know, saw what didn't work for him, and he adjusted. And he has this monster game where in the regular season, it's almost like he saw what wasn't working, and then he got scared. Like every anytime he saw two high safeties, he shit his pants. And that was not the case. This game and the Steelers, like, listen, guys, we know we know about the Steelers. As the sun begins to poke through. Great defense. Offense a little suspect. We know this. But you know. Ugh, all right. Enough about this. We're we gotta look ahead to next season or not next season. I gotta find the schedule for Where is it? Why is it? Come on, bro. So this coming weekend, what do we have? Saturday, Bengals, Titans, and then Niners, Packers. I think that it is going to be an absolute bloodbath in Green Bay. I am, as much as I would love to watch Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, because I think that they have, this is their best chance to win a Super Bowl. Okay, because I don't find the AFC particularly, um, I don't want to say that. I feel like that's disingenuous. But I don't think the Titans are Super Bowl contenders. I mean, I, th- I can't really say that because they did finish the first overall seed. But, it, like, I just, uh, I don't see it, man. I don't see it. I think that whoever wins Chiefs-Bills will be representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. And I, I, I think that on paper... Those are the two best teams because if we just go ahead and we pe- we take a peek at what's going on with the Titans, okay? 15th in points scored, 6th in points allowed. 12 and 5, pretty good, right? But then we go to the Bills. Where are we? And the Bills have the best defense in football and the third best offense in football. And you look at that and you're like, 
How do they only go 11 and 6? And then you see what they do what they did to the Patriots this past week. I was watching that game and I'm like they look like they look like they're ready to go to the Super Bowl. They look like they're playing this game as if it's the fucking Super Bowl. And then the Chiefs. I know the Chiefs defense is not the best, okay? They do allow a lot of points. They play, you know, I don't a lot of points. 21. And they're that's uh eight, right? But that offense, man, you have Ty Hill and Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes and then Mecole Hardman and Byron Pringle and then, you know, the running back committee behind Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Like, the Chiefs and the Bills are the two most talented teams in the AFC and the two most well-rounded teams in the AFC. And I just feel that the the Titans... Although they are titans on defense, you would say, I don't know if their offense is capable of hanging with the Chiefs or the Bills because it all comes down to quarterback play. And Ryan Tannehill is going up against a quarterback this game, in this coming Saturday who's already better than he is. And then if they do win, he's going to have to go and face two of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL. Like I feel that's too much. I feel that's too much for him to overcome i get that you know they have aj brown on the perimeter as well but like and and their running back rotation without derrick henry very 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 surprised by how how reliable those guys were um i just yeah i don't know i don't know i don't know i'm i'm scared i'm scared for the titans legitimately and then on the nfc side i already mentioned um packers niners Rams Bucks has the chance to be the most entertaining game. Actually, I can't even say that because I think Kansas City Buffalo is going to be very fun. It's going to be a lot of fun as well. Saturday, Sunday is definitely the day for playoff football. Like these two games are chef's fucking kiss, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup going up against. The GOAT, Tom Brady, and Mike Evans. You might have Leonard Fournette back as well. And for all of you Leonard Fournette fantasy owners, you know how crucial he was to their game plan and how when he's there, how everything opens up for them. How Tom Brady can play like Tom Brady. I think that's a lot of fun. I am excited again to watch Odell Beckham as well. But yeah, Saturday's going to be a hit or miss. I do think Bengals-Titans has the chance to be you know, a competitive game. But... I mean, if Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase just get a connection early, hey man, GG's Tennessee. Um, with that said, I don't want to make Super Bowl picks, but I'm going to because I'm a glutton for punishment. I think that Packers finally go back to the Super Bowl. I think that they make up for, what was it, last year when Tom Brady went to Green Bay and just made those hopes vanish. And the AFC one for me is particularly challenging because Bills and the Chiefs. You can't go wrong with either team. Both teams are amazing. I am going to go ahead and say... Mm, I don't know if I want to say it. I'm, I'm kind of rooting for the Bills. I'm kind of rooting for the Bills. Because, you know, I want to see a fucking actual state of New York team go to the Super Bowl. I am a Giants fan, and I've seen the Giants win two Super Bowls in my lifetime. I'm not trying to brag, but I am actually trying to brag. But, you know, seeing Bills Mafia get ready for the Super Bowl, that would be fucking tremendous. And it really can go either way. Because of the last five matchups, one of which being earlier this season when Buffalo decimated Kansas City 38-20. to Of course, the Chiefs have changed a lot since then, as have the Bills. But, you know, Kansas City is 3-2 and against Buffalo in these last couple of games. And three of those games have been decided by one score or fewer. One of them was an eight-point victory, but still, you know, a score. Uh, one possession, I guess I should say. Um, uh, Man, she uh, 
Packers Bills Super Bowl. I think would be I think it'd be awesome. I also think that a Packers um Packers Chiefs Super Bowl would be tremendous fun as well. And with that, I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up for today, bring an end to my inaugural inaugural that's a word I've always struggled with. Inaugural stream on Twitch. Um, do you guys feel free to go ahead and follow the Twitch channel? It will be linked with all of the other social media links um, underneath the podcast description. Um, subscribe to the YouTube channel, Twitter, Instagram, all that. If you're listening to this on Apple or Spotify, go ahead and leave a rating, leave a like, leave a review, do whatever. If you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend about it. And if you didn't enjoy this episode, also tell a friend about it because all press is good press. And with that, I'll catch you guys in the next one.